welcome guys to the Payback Reflect, where we reflect on Payback. How are we all doing today? Yeah, pretty good. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm doing great, Ali. I'm good. doing great. That was the good. gentlest, most soothing, swaddled, welcoming. Uh, yeah, it's very much I've the BBC Radio 4 version of Critical Ditto, and I, I'm not against it. To any Radio 4 um, people out there, I am available. <laughs> Ali, do you know what's also good about that intro? You actually asked one of the listener questions, which was Scott. Did which I? His question was, how are you all doing today? Which is exactly what you said, which is beautiful. <laughs> and I knew that, which is why I asked it. I'm how are we all doing today? To... I mean, I what day did out. he ask that question? Do we need to say how we were doing <laughs> on the day he asked the question versus today? If it's next week, then my response is going to be a very long monologue about racism in the UK. But today I'm doing fine. <laughs> yeah. I'm doing Fair. all right. Fair. Well, let's get straight into it. So we're going to start with any questions we have for each other or any accusations you want to throw at a fellow player, perhaps. Oh, thank God. Right. <laughs> David. I'm so glad somebody finally voiced it. My, my internal <laughs> imposter syndrome is thrilled at the moment. Absolutely thriving. Do we have any thoughts or questions for each other about the arc generally? Uh, about the arc? No, I thought the arc was absolutely perfect. I don't think it could be improved in any way. Uh, I mm. think everybody played their characters as if they were scripted and I think we should move on immediately. I have a big question. I have a couple of questions. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Ali, do you want to ask one of yours? Yeah, sure. Um, well, it was more, I just, I I loved Pyrrhonal and I just want to kind of flesh out a couple of bits more really. Um Namely, how the obelisk and the casino and the museum all linked together, especially with the sort of weasel tie-in. Like, so <laughs> geographically, was it was was the like, casino at the bottom and then the obelisk sort of rising from it, or was it a separate place that was linked by some sort of tunnel? We were arrested in the museum, then kept in the obelisk. Brandy was apprehended in the casino and taken to the obelisk. Weasel was seemingly in control of all three because Jolly was part of the security force for the museum as well as the Breezo obviously being involved with the casino and the obelisk so I'm fascinated to see how all of those tie into each other So Ali, you're essentially asking, was it like one giant ant farm? Not what I had in mind In my mind, Pyrenal is uh, well, a thriving um, town, city, place plenty of separate locations in it It's just that the, the, the munch bunch and then by extension, the Buizel family had fingers in all those pies. So it's not as if they kind of, it was not one big hideout that they just had different extensions of. It was just different mm. buildings that they were, they owned or had a stake in. To be honest, I think any building you could have gone to Pyrenal in would have had some kind of Buizel, you know, infrastructure put in it. Probably even the uh, mm. the little font, the big font, little font cafe. Well, the big font cafe, big font books. Oh no. What, what oh no, the independent retailers. Everyone, every well, that's the thing. You've got to pay protection. That was more the vibe I was going for. But hey, maybe there's secret tunnels. Thanks, Stu. Uh, any David, do you have a question at all? No, I no, I don't really. I think I think my questions were all sort of like mid arc. I think this was the one where I really realised that sometimes, I, th- I think there were a lot of times this arc where I was like, oh, we're about to make progress, and then we didn't make progress, and then we still made progress in the end. And I think that it's very easy in the middle of an episode uh, to just be like. Well, that that arc has just absolutely gone to pot, and I I think this is one where I really this is one where I really learned that if you've made it clear enough that, that plot needs to happen, Stu will make it happen, uh, and yeah. that was a very valuable lesson, especially for somebody who is such an absolute OCD plot follower as myself, which is stupid in an improv podcast, but nonetheless. <laughs> His, his, the improv musicals have taught me to just be the plot narrative man, and now I'm like, that's not how this works. Um, and I think that's what I learned. That's what I learned plot, in Playback. narrative? What are those things? Yeah, I think you're kind of right, David, because there was a point, I think, when we failed the museum heist, mm. I was like, well, what was the point in the two episodes that led up to it? Yeah. And then it managed to link itself in, in a yeah. very convenient way. <laughs> I, I really remember after the, the moment where Theo's punch doesn't work on the wall and that was like the end of the episode and I was just like, this was supposed to be the arc where Kenny and Theo talk. <laughs> Obviously, the next episode, Stu literally engineered an entire episode 
with Kenny and Theo talk, and we had the law drop because Stu is a is a brilliant and inventive and intelligent man who doesn't yeah. let, let things slip. I think I think Theo's failed wall punch was one of my favourite parts of the arc because for me that was like one of the biggest character beats of the whole thing of of mm. Theo how they've developed so far and then realizing that actually that's not a kind of solve all this this instinctive mm. reactionary way they'd been approaching things was not the way to solve every situation and that just by learning some new skills and new ways to approach scenarios that doesn't mean that is the only way to approach these scenarios and i thought that was brilliant and the fact that you felt frustration at the end of that i think is is telling because yeah i'm mm. sh- i'm sure theo felt exactly the same i remember just being in that moment but it was such an edge because it as as informative as it was for theo it was so informative to me as a player it was incredibly important it was a very necessary experience and i think that's why payback stands out to me as having learnt that I went in there with like a list of things that I wanted to achieve and that's just how you can play this. Actually, it was all the better for having those thrown up and thrown out the window, which was nobody's fault. It was the dice's fault. I think it is good to have that list though. I think it is good to go into an arc with goals and with things you want your character to achieve Mm. and with things that you think they should progress in that respect. Whether they do them all, whether they get there, I don't know. That's that's not up to us in a way. But I think it is good to have that in your mind for sure. Mm. Yeah. Oh, listeners, we can't tell you how many times we've tried to, we've had to call David back from the edge and be like, no, please don't leave the podcast. You, you succeed, you, you win, Theo you wins. win the game, you win the, game. Won the trophy, well done, Theo. Why do you think Theo has so many more Pokemon than the rest of us? <laughs> Every time we're worried about David, we, we give him a rare Pokemon. You know what? You all could have given yourselves that move. You all could have given yourselves a move where you pick out a Pokemon, but no, somebody gave that to me and I ran with it. I ran with it and I tried to use it in episode one, but no, everything fell apart. And then I had to use it in the finale and it was all the better for it. Tom, what about you? Did you have a question about the arc? My big question. So we've had a lot of complimenting of Stu there. Of you know, It's great work at weaving in narratives, but I've got one big question. What happened to Adrian Fomansk? What was yeah, their arc? going to be one of mine. What was, what was their arc during the whole nighttime heist? As in, where did they go? Where did they go? What did they do? And how did they end where, up at where, the casino? Where are they now? Well, they're at the because casino. Adri was there with us in the office, so he must have been around somewhere. Can I suggest something nice for Adri? Let's give Adri a break. In that Adri was was saved by Brandy, which was a, a move that I feel was ne- I never got the just rewards for that choice. That's fair. I only got punished <laughs> for that good choice. <laughs> So I think maybe what Adri Fomance was doing was actually trying to win Skaroopy back, but just on the slots. So Adri Fomance was there drunk trying to um, count cards in the casino. So they were trying to cheat, but they ended up doing it so badly that no one thought they were cheating because they kept losing money anyway, desperately trying to um, win back Skaroopy, but it never happened. Oh, that's kind of tragic, but also lovely. Yeah. Did you just say counting cards at the slots? Yep. That's <laughs> why it was so bad. <laughs> do, you, do you gamble Tom's, much, Tom? <laughs> Tom's about as good a gambler as he is a poet, I think. <laughs> is the we can take away from that. But no, I, I like the idea of Adri just sat at the slots, having had this moment of kindness, this moment, this experience in the real world with Brandy, um, having their back, uh, which I don't think they've really experienced. Really, and also possibly. kind of bonding with Theo, sort of as well. Mm. Well, mate, I yeah. don't know. We had did the drinks, we had the, we had the drunken sash. We had a was real there, sash. Was there a moment of bonding, Theo, during the drunken sash? Because obviously we off-screened a lot of that. Yeah, I think... Didn't you bond over how much you hated Kenny? We did bond... We bonded over how infuriating <laughs> Kenny was. I think we, we've... I think we've reached a point of mutual understanding, which I think was important because we needed to know about like the books and the tomes and blah. so Adria's kind of served in some ways a narrative purpose I'm kind of all right with just kind of being like yeah we, we've sort of reconciled but I think there was a, I think there was a moment of realizing that we were both hurt people in a very traumatic organization and maybe we didn't actually act out of our own malice towards each other yeah I think that's maybe, really nice and maybe there's a reason that you've both gravitated towards uh similar mental figures actually mm. yeah mm. I hear what you're saying and yes we should bring Adri for Monsk back for the next arc and <laughs> I think we I can't wait for Adri to actually be a player in the next one. I'm so excited to hear about Adri's arc. Aren't you guys? Yeah, I know. I think episode one of the next arc, Stu, we just start with Adri for Monsk. Just <laughs> full focus. Are we going to do a full Omake where we all just play different characters for the series? Guys, spoiler for the next question, or one of the next questions. <laughs> um, as we move on to 
listener questions about the arc. The next question, Stu, is directed to you. Um, so this is from Jerembi from the Discord. Love you, Jerembi. Was the heist going badly a derailment of the campaign for you, Stu? Did you have a plan if Theo was able to open the secret room and then that got completely scrapped? Great questions. I love this. I love talking about what could have happened or what you had in mind for I because I think... It's, it's, more fun, it's more fun than what actually happened. Well, it, in a way, but it, it just totally reveals the nature of tabletop improv and stuff like that which is Mm. what david was talking about this idea of going in with a plan and how often that can bite you in the butt um uh, did it bite me in the butt in this respect yes and no i would say no in that actually going into piranile i knew that i I knew that i wanted to spend like an episode or two in piranile before we got on the train just to kind of like ease us in and maybe uh just set up set up the town a little bit set up what might be happening before the train did i expect it to become its whole own arc no not in the slightest uh that that is entirely the result of things as you say going badly and going wrong and escalating um in my mind things would have sort of played out like yeah maybe brandy goes to the casino does a little bit of gambling you know comes back or you know theo and kenny go to the museum maybe see some exhibits or whatever comes back there was an idea that it was going to be a gym battle. Uh, we had, well, I'd placed Yorick, the uh, the ghost-type gym leader there, um, doing their touring show in Pyrenile, uh, suggesting, I think I put it in the opening vignette, that maybe Brandy might want to go there and get uh, her first gym badge. None of that happened. None of that occurred. And actually, once a couple of roles had happened in their various low-stakes escapades and the stakes began to raise and we all started kind of collaborating at the table, suddenly Piranha became a much bigger thing than I'd even thought it would be. This whole idea of, of a mafia element to Piranha, I had no idea about until we met Snorleone. The whole idea of Buizel family, I had no idea until Brandy went into the back room of the casino. The people taking Pokemon as well. Yep, that That's was all whole completely... We found that in the moment. That feels like a major a major plot line as well now that there's Pokemon the Pokemon League now are collecting Pokemon for some reason. Absolutely. Or enforcing. And we've got to justify that at some point. In terms of the, the museum heist going wrong, that that I did actually have an idea of what was maybe gonna happen there. Um but it didn't. It didn't happen. And I sort of feel like it's I shouldn't I shouldn't go over what I think could have happened there. Yeah. Um because well, we had might... a we had a long chat when for when David failed that role. We did yeah. about we what did. could be there until eventually we went, guys. It could just not work. <laughs> yeah, like, there was a situation where we were going to find a whole bunch of paladins just like behind <laughs> the door, and it was just it Indiana just... Jones style, where they turn the <laughs> fireplace and it's actually the Nazi war room. That's what we were thinking it could have done because we were all there being like, oh, it's a fail. Like, what could be in the room but not work for us? What could be the worst thing that Theo could see behind the room? And then it just became this sort of, well, what's the simplest? thing for to hurt Theo and it's just that it didn't work and that's yeah. that was more brutal than anything really but Stu you were saying you didn't want to go into it you don't want to go into what you've planned because why well no no it's more it's more like what we said this idea that you know oh yeah in my head I had this whole idea of of meeting some characters from the church uh in behind the scenes at the at the museum and finding out about the artifacts they were transporting and stuff like that and I was like you know I had these ideas for when they could meet them how that would play out, who was there. But actually in the moment, as you say, we discovered that it was much it was much better for Theo to have that character moment. And you sort of think, do you know what? All that stuff can be going on behind the scenes. They don't need to see it. They don't need to witness it for it to be happening. And that mm. may come into play in another arc later on. It may well still come into play. So to be honest, most of Pyrenile came from what the players did. Uh, mm. And I was planning it session to session. I did not have a. I didn't. None of what ended up in the obelisk with Buizel, with Snorleone, with the guys getting captured. None of that was planned. So... Well, correct. Correct me if I'm wrong, Stu. But the only reason that the dump existed, and therefore the only reason that Snorleone existed, was because I went. I kind of want to add a Pokemon to my team. And That's then exactly you were like, true. well, we need somewhere in a city where there might be wild Pokemon. Let's make a dump. Yep. And then we happened across 
these two, and you know, one thing led to another. And, and then we got the hoops, next thing we, got we know, Sorioni and yeah, yeah, exactly. But in a way, I kind of think that's the most fun way of finding a story is together. Mm. <laughs> oh. Lame guys. <laughs> Um, following on, following on from uh, Jeremy's question, I've got two questions that are quite similar that I'm going to ask for quick fire answers from everyone for. So I'm just going to say both questions now. First one from King J, which is, what point did you realise the Ark was never going to reach the train? And then Tilda's <laughs> question is very similar, saying, was payback originally just going to be one Ark, including the train, or did it become its own thing entirely while playing? And when did you realise this? So basically, when did you realise we weren't going to get to that trade at all and we were locked into Pyrenile for five episodes? For me, it was the moment Gary the Scroopy was taken. And I was like, well, we can't leave now. <laughs> Tom is not going to leave Gary. I um, was, was going to say exactly the same moment. I think when, I, when Brandy chose to help Adri Fomonsk instead of Scroopy, I almost regretted that a little bit because I thought, oh, now I've really made it, so I can't leave. <laughs> uh, Ali? I think when our double heists... I, I felt like we could... Uh, after Scaroopy, I thought we'd still be able to wrap this up in an episode. Episode three, I was like, we can make it onto the train. Episode three, that's fine. Couple of episodes in Pyrenal. And then at the end of by the end of episode two, I was like, yeah, no way. I think we <laughs> created... I think it's because we created a really interesting character in Snorleone that all of us were quite interested in exploring a bit more. And I was like, this is going to be explored here. It's not going to be explored next arc. It's going to be explored now. David? Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's interesting how, yeah, if, if we had all succeeded, as if, if in those moments where Brandy had lost Gary, Brandy had succeeded in convincing the staff in a way of being able to get Barry, Gary back really quickly. And if in our heist, we had managed to sneak into the museum, get into whatever church ruins were in there, and very quickly do some exposition about something about the King's Rock and Kenny, we would probably have like done those three episodes and then done like a denouement where we all got on the train or, or whatever was sort of coming up next. But the thing is, is that it was just the series of no's in that episode, which was so frustrating as players, so frustrating for our characters that there was no point in trying to brush it off and have everyone go, well, we've all got a mission to do oh, we've got a gym battle to do. That was the point where we went, we need to resolve this. There needs to be character development to come out of these failures. So yeah, yeah I think it was that episode yeah. that was the one where... Thanks, guys. Okay, uh, last question for this section uh, is from Jeremby again. How do you feel the characters developed as people through this arc? Uh, and how have the bonds between the characters developed? Um, I definitely think Kenny and Theo probably are realising how interlinked the two of them are and mm. i think reaching the conclave has now become as significant for kenny as it is for theo i think on a on a individual level i definitely feel like kenny realizes how much uh he relies on the other two um when he was stuck in that eternal hell scream he was helpless i was helpless it was on it was on Theo and Brandy to get him out of there, essentially. And he kind of woke up and you guys were... I, to be honest, I think you could have hand, handled that fight without Kenny <laughs> completely. No, but... no. Right, David? <laughs> right? Uh, no. Alex. Sorry, can you remind me who's Kenny again? As a, as that? <laughs> he's, the one that, he's the one that keeps throwing you down uh, through, <laughs> through ceilings in museums. <laughs> Love that. Love that for me. Now, I fully uh, agree that yeah. this is... It's interesting that we... Like, thinking back on it now... This was the first arc we've had since we were in Route Uno Forest, which was about like character interactions with each other. Because when we were doing when we were doing foul play, um, it was us as part of an ensemble. Like it was us. It was us. We had moments that were each of us. We had moments where you would get like a little glimpse of Brandy and Theo, a little glance, little glimpse of Kenny and Brandy, a little glimpse of blah blah blah. blah. But it was predominantly how do the three of us interact when we are pushed, antagonized, or supported by Bash Hannah. Um, Adri and the other ensemble characters in that situation. It was like a big sort of Ocean's Eleven situation there. But in Foul Play, although we had lots of supporting characters, it was very much about how did they feed into the storylines of Theo, Kenny and, and Brandy. And I feel like I got very lucky with Theo and that Theo and Kenny got to have an arc effectively together. Like we got three episodes, just the two of us, which is the first time that we've been able to bounce off each other since Route Uno Forest. And so that was mm. a huge boon for both of us for our characters, for our development of who we were do who we were playing and what we were doing, 
I think that was the big the big step forward uh, in that regard. Mm. I certainly think that this arc was very much, in terms of character bonding, was the Kenny and Theo bonding sort of, as you've alluded, because there was that big kind of, your stories feel now more connected than they have done previously. And I think Brandy still feels outside of that in a way. So I think it's going to be interesting to see how we either bring Brandy into that kind of more weird, um, poker-powered sort of storyline, or whether Brandy will remain separate and perhaps, you know, I'm not saying this is going to happen, but perhaps Brandy's story goes a different way than Kenny and Theo's, and, you know, we we follow Kenny and Theo and I play someone else. But, you know, I'm not saying that's going to happen because I love Brandy, but that feel, that to me felt very much like your two storylines really melded into a concrete goal and group goal. Um, but that's how I'd yeah. say it. I think it advanced. But Brandy personally as a character developing more in terms of a Pokemon trainer in that way. I think getting a Pokemon like Snorleone for Brandy is such a huge coup, really. I think she's sort of slowly developing as a trainer. And I think that was more where her arc was in this way. She also got a sword. And she got a sword. <laughs> so now is her arc to become the world's greatest swordsman. No, I was going to say, you guys didn't see it, but Beartick and Clubberpuss got really close. Beartick. <laughs> I love that we mentioned Beartick once and never again. <laughs> never again did this Beartick appear. Opened the cage story. door and then left. Beartick, Beartick became Clubberpuss's manager shortly after the Pyrenal <laughs> arc concluded. Um, and Clubberpuss is going to take a run at becoming the Mixed Monarchs champion of, of Formia. Sorry, gang. I got one more question on this one, quickly. Uh, if you could pick one of your failed roles and turn it into a, a successful one, which one would you pick? I think my failed role is when I threw Theo through the roof because it instantly sto- sobered up Theo and I was enjoying drunk Theo so much <laughs> that I just wanted that to continue forever. <laughs> There's more booze in the world, in. Ali. There's more booze in the world. David? I think the one that I, listening back, I wish had gone better was when we started the match with with Rock the Dwayne Johnson. And I think there's a couple of moves in that tournament really early on that went horribly wrong, where we were really having to prevent any of us from falling into a coma within the first <laughs> 40 minutes of that penultimate episode. Like, it was literally, it was bleak because because Theo was so <laughs> harmed. And the three of us were just absolutely nothing went right in that situation. It was just muck up after muck up. And I really well, one of us that... literally did go into a temporary coma. Well, quite. And I do feel like w- I'd like some of those early shielding and spell roles to have gone a little bit better because I think they would have they would have changed the match not dramatically, but it would. Have... But actually, listening back, it's fun how terribly, terribly we did for quite a while. Mm-hmm. That's why we used, uh, the last episode was fun because it was just full of us rolling well or using luck points. <laughs> so <laughs> major success. Uh, the role I would probably change, but then thinking about it, I don't know if I would. I was going to say the role turning it into a full success, which was the winning the game. So I would uh, win all that money from the casino against Mesprit Dealer. But then thinking about it, that mixed success led to a lot of the events that happened. So it wouldn't have been a great arc. So actually, I'm I'm going to be that guy. And say, actually, I quite like the failed roles in this one because they made us add to the story. Huh. Yeah, yeah, roll. I I do roles too sometimes. Um, yeah. And well, I, I was going to say, Stu, what 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 success might would you change into a failure? Oh, that's a good question. Oh man, I can't remember any of your successes. Did you? <laughs> <laughs> and that's it. We're going to go into the next section. The next section is about the game system. This is to everyone. What difficulties have you guys faced in the process of making your own game system? I'm going to say a lot of difficulties. Many. Wait, was that in the question? No. No. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Scott's question ended at your own game system and I added... I, as... I, could, I could see the struggles you've had, guys. I did writ large all over your podcast. <laughs> well, Scott, as you will notice very early on in the first couple of episodes of the next arc, it was at this at this point pretty much all about the battling i think yes the like, well mm. i think the po- the 
It's it's the, it's the issue we've had from day one of the podcast. It really is, isn't it? It's everything it, else the, has kind of been okay. The difficulty, well, it's the it's it, because it's the crucial thing, you know the the kind of the role play roles, the social roles, the investigative roles. They all they all merge into the apocalypse system really nicely because there's so many other apocalypse systems with similar sort of mechanics that you can pull from. In those, like there's so many apocalypse world games that you need to check out a scene in or you need to manipulate someone in or you need to you know force someone to do something but the thing that is unique to pokemon and the thing that pokemon the game originally was built on was strategic tactical battles between small monsters aka bundles of stats and trying Hmm. to convert that into a low crunch you know two dice roll it make it narrative make it exciting has been the biggest challenge and we've wrestled with you know basically using two different systems where we used narrative dice for out of combat stuff and then try to use uh pokemon journeys for in in combat then we try to use showdown for a combat then we try to use our own weird version of 1d6 (laughs) just roll just roll one dice and then there you go and none of that was working because it was it was either it was two ends of a spectrum it was either too crunchy and was taking up entire episodes or it was not it was not giving you the satisfaction of knowing that I am using uh, an Armaldo and that is more powerful than your Caterpie and therefore I should be winning this game. Um, and I should be using X-Scissor, which I know is a very good move, but instead I'm just kind of flailing. So that's been the biggest challenge, 100%. We're still working on it. We're still perfecting it. As Ali says, in the next two episodes, I think you will hear... Um, us wrestling with that and making some small additions, which if you are part of the Critical Ditto Discord, you'll you'll already be aware of. And actually, I think uh, where we are at now is kind of feeling in a good place. The last few Pokemon battles we've had, I haven't been scared of. I've actually Mm. been relishing getting into combat. I mean, we had, not to sort of peek behind the curtain too much, but we've recorded an episode of Next Arc that was pretty much a battle for the whole episode. And yeah. it was great. And I know people really are good. thinking, how is yeah. that possible with your system? But but it actually is seemed to be holding up quite well and sort of being that nice mix of stats, but also keeping it nice and light and short to keep and, things moving. Yeah. I think critically as well, adding in a slight hint of randomness in the dice that keeps yes. that keeps the stakes there and keeps you wondering mm-hmm. how the outcome of the fight's gonna be. It allows that moment where the Caterpie could beat the Armaldo. Exactly. Yeah. You need that mm. small 0.1% chance that maybe this Caterpie could win if the dice go their way, because that's exactly. the fun of it. Yeah. Where Pokemon as a game series is now, you could have items, abilities, weather can be can affect stuff, and we basically stripped a lot of that back. And the, there was there's a temptation, I think, to have everything in one go. And instead, we've not been able to do that. And I think realising that for me was was quite a was quite a, a, an important moment. Yeah, we were trying to build we were trying to build Lego Technic and really we need to be doing Duplo. But we can build it up. Duplo Yes, brick. exactly. Yeah. By Duplo brick yeah. we can build it up and as we get more comfortable with certain things we're like, guys, guys, do you want to add megas? Guys. Yeah. Mm. Do you want exactly. to add Gigantamax? Do you want to add Z moves? And then everyone's like, no, we don't want to add Z moves. Um, when we started, we all had just a series of normal moves. Like when when Meditite had the, had their first fights, I remember just being really frustrated because everything was pound defense curl, etc., etc. So there wasn't much variety. And now, like, not again to spoil anything, but I feel like because we've we've brought it down to real basics, you can kind of just like the names of the attacks are kind of unimportant to a degree. You can kind of just go yeah. for what. What aspect of the arena or the or the what element do you want to use that's going to change this match? And then everything is up in the air because of that dice roll. Like you can, you're effectively just going, I want to use a psychic attack or a water attack, or and it, it simplifies it a great deal, which makes it more exciting for me as a player to play because it feels like there are more aspects for us to be able to to fiddle with than when we started. It was like you'll have pound for for an arc, for three David. <laughs> My view as well is it's sort of thing like you could flavor it where if you had an Abra, then it's using a psychic special attack. It would be confusion. If it's a Kadabra, maybe it's Psybeam. If it's uh, an Alakazam, then it's a full-on psychic. Like that's that's how you kind of describe mm. the power increase and the mm. power level within the system. Yeah. So 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 moving on from this to a similar sort of thing from Glarin asks, what are some of the things you would have wanted originally in the game that you've ended up having to scrap? 
And I would say that it is that kind of that move differentiation. It would be nice to learn flamethrower and have that do specific things, but that's just so crunchy. It's so difficult to try and get that well, in. To, to be like, well, I, I could use fire spin here, but instead I'm going to use flamethrower because it's more direct, you know, yeah, direct damage. Is that what you mean? That's what I'm I'm saying. Yeah, is that is that like that would be nice, sure, but I just don't think in the system we want to play yeah. that that has think, a place. I think there is room to do stuff like that though. I think we have the create an advantage move and we have the kicks and frost last move, and I think I hope. I mean, I, I'm saying this now. Why am I saying this? Obviously, we'll encounter a move at some point that someone will use, and we'll be like, that doesn't fit into either. Oh no, mm. shell smash! What do we do? But I think you can use both of those moves like fire spin could be create an advantage or it could be kicks and frost last depending on how you're using it mm. um it would be nice you're right it would be nice to sort of pay homage to the games that we are so familiar with and that we we know so well and that knowledge would be would be lovely to use because it it's such, such an easy translation but um i'm actually i don't know it's quite hard because i'm genuinely i think we've written this because it suits us and so I'm pretty happy with where we're at. I think I wanted um, maybe items. Listening to other sort of like TTRPG podcasts and playing a lot of sort of hoarding item games, I think that's always quite fun to incorporate. But rather than with stuff that we've scrapped, it's always been stuff that we scrapped that we're not too bothered about. But I think what we do have are stuff that we'd love to incorporate later on. So we have this idea of Pokemon having a loyalty and there being a kind of bond between, which we don't really explore yet. We don't. We haven't really come to a point where we want to make that meaningful, but we can do, and I'm sure we will at some point. Same with the trainer type affinities. We have this kind of idea that wouldn't it be great if every trainer had some kind of type that they felt like reflected them as a trainer or as a and person. If you use X number of a certain type on your team, you get certain bonuses and stuff like that. So we're kind of constantly evolving it and thinking about things we can add to it. So I'm not necessarily too worried about the things that we've scrapped because yeah, we haven't scrapped that much because no, I don't think anything we have scrapped we've gone we'll bring it back we just need it in a better form than what we tried to do it with originally yeah I think I'd like to work out uh, stab in there somehow but I'm, I don't really care I do feel bad that this is the only uh, <laughs> role playing game David's ever played <laughs> <laughs> it's just completely fake. I, I yeah, was Alex, really bad David, David for David. Could be playing a really polished, lovely, designed, finished game, David, and instead can we, we please... forced him into our horrible <laughs> hack shop. <laughs> can we please do a D and D adventure? In many ways, this is the perfect my first role playing game because basically, I get to. We are all just sort of playing around with a very simple and familiar series of rules and i think the the things that terrify me the most are all the sections of the sheet that i have literally no idea what they mean um and luckily i'm with the three of you who every time that i don't know what numbers i need to refer to which is literally every time a number is used the three of you are able to kind of guide me through it and then we just cut it out of the final episode this question from tilda still on game system but a fun one and uh, not that the others weren't fun but they were more serious <laughs> questions this is more completely up in the air Tilda asks, what trainer classes would you assign for the rest of the special defenders? Ooh. So to oh, give you, to, to remind fun. you, the special defenders are the, the ones that aren't the main cast. You've got Adri for Monsk, Heron and Bash for Luton, uh, and Hannah are the other four special defenders. And the classes we currently have are Ace Trainer, Hex Maniac, Researcher, Ninja slash Spy, Ruffian, Fashionista, Noble, Breeder, and Athlete. I feel like I'm pretty I mean, the confident. The Lutons are pretty easy to put into place, aren't they? <laughs> pretty noble, I would say. They're pretty yeah, yeah, yeah. kind of. You could imagine I, them I being. Mean, you could say you could argue, Bash is an athlete. Seeing as the only thing we know about her is that she did play Blitzball at one point. That's true. And you could argue that Heron could be an ace trainer because, you know, absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> he did beat Brandy, who's a very Wait, strong ace I repeat, trainer. Absolutely not. <laughs> okay. Yeah. No, I think yeah, he definitely could be, uh, or even a fashionista maybe, but. I, I like I like athlete for for bash, bash definitely. I feel like Hannah, I guess of those is probably most ruffian, but I don't could feel like that's, could that's be a ninja her. spy. She's a ninja. Small. She's small. Just hiding it she... that whole time. David, what do you think about Adri? I mean, Adri, I think probably goes into the same camp of of researcher. I think that most members of a certain level in the church probably go to the same level, but then also Adri has shown some some real thieving now so maybe adri's a ninja i was thinking ninja i was thinking betraying and kind of 
in it for themselves, kind of sneaky. Mm. Could I be that. Think and Ves- I definitely think Vespa was a ninja. Vespa's not so much. Nice. Vespa's a ninja, <laughs> and yeah. Adri for monsters yeah, a researcher. Yeah, yeah. That's a good. If this was. If this was like Final Fantasy X, Adri has spent like an equal number of skill points on yes. both trees. Like, it, <laughs> there's no excelling in either side. It's all like a rank B in everything. Yeah, Adri is a is a is a reinger or a nin searcher. A nin searcher. Nin searcher. Yikes! That sounds yeah, like a an stretch. Irish first name. And on nin searcher, <laughs> we move on to the next section. This is a fun one to start with. What kind of music would your characters be listening to? And I'm going to preface this, this is from Ryan, by saying that uh, there is already on the Discord someone, I think it's Jerembi, but correct me if I'm wrong, apologies if that's wrong, uh, have done playlists for Kenny and Theo, and the Kenny one is almost complete. So why don't we just add a song that we think, as it's collaborative on the Discord, we'd love to keep people adding to these playlists what they think the characters would listen to. But if everyone wants to give a song that they think Theo would listen to or that Kenny would listen to or that Brandy would listen to. You'd have to do your own characters. Obviously, Stu, because that would be sad for you. It's okay. All my characters have playlists. You just don't see them. <laughs> <laughs> Bootang had headphones. I would say Brandy would listen to That's Not My Name by the Ting Tings. That feels very Brandy. It feels aggressive. It feels to the it point. Does. It feels like, you know, they call me whiskey. They call me Lambrini. Maybe a <laughs> rum and coke. Always the same. That's not my name. That is a really good shout. I see Theo, correct me if I'm wrong, listening to some form of like Bjork or Kate Bush. Now, Bjork. thank you for saying this because I didn't want to say the word Bjork for the fourth time on this podcast. Um, but I, I was going to, so yes to Bjork. I, I'm going to say kind of sort of biophilia for Bjork fans out there. It's probably nice. the album that, that Theo's going back to. I think Theo, it would be so easy as an academic in a stuffy institution to say that Theo listens to classical music, blah, 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 blah. Who, who gives a damn about that? That's stupid. It's not stupid. It's a perfectly valid thing to say. But I think that's not an interesting answer for me to give. I'm going to say that if Theo was music, modern, contemporary, like electronic techno and house, we're talking like fortet. We're talking bicep. We're talking Anna Meredith. We're talking about like weird ambient house. I think Kenny is a mixture between Randy Newman and My Chemical Romance. <laughs> nice. That's fair. So like young blood, basically. <laughs> it's like if Woody from Toy Story straightened his hair and dyed it black. I was going to say God Only Knows by the Beach Boys. Oh. I want like Aww. a Nine Inch Nails cover version of it, and then I'm <laughs> I'm really on board. Maybe it's the kind of slightly creepy one from Bioshock Infinite. Okay, next question. What is Snorleone's favourite Mafia movie? Uh, this is tough because this is where I reveal that I don't actually watch many Mafia movies. Uh, and I, uh, I sort of vaguely, va- vaguely based it on Godfather 1. <laughs> I think Snorleone actually likes um, something like My Cousin Vinny. I think Snorleone loves Joe Pesci because it's like a parody Mafia it's like, haha, look how ridiculous this mafia is. They are not nearly as good as my great mafia, who always do the right thing all the time. Also, Joe Pesci is a, a small guy making it big in the world of mafia. So Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. That's, that's definitely that. I'm trying to I guess think. also in our universe, they'd also have to have pun names, wouldn't they? So it would be, a, it would be an alternate version of like my cousin Vinny that's just got some sort of Pokemon. Okay. Can't well, think of what that Pokemon is. You've thrown is. that challenge down immediately. I feel like it made it easier. My cousin Snivy. My cousin Snivy. (laughs) Impressive. So good, Ali. Um, Stu? Stu is clearly Googling. (laughs) Googling. (laughs) (laughs) Anything I say right now is just going to be a source from Wikipedia. So I'm I'm going to abstain. I respectfully abstain. Here we go. If you had to switch out your character for any other character introduced in the show so far, who would you want to play? This is from Glaren. And Stu... I'm going to readjust the question for you to say, of any character in the show, who would you like to take on as a player character if you were to join the campaign? You know, is, Matt is Mercer decided. Yeah, as, can, no, I, I, can I leave the GM chair? Matt Mercer's better not. Guys, guys, I've waited so long. This is so exciting for no. me. No. Get, get back down. Get back down. Sit back in the chair. 
Yes, <laughs> yes, sirs. Sorry, sirs. My temptation is to play Professor Honey, but I want to play someone a bit a bit more serious. I like I love playing the sort of goofy oh, oddball. Honey, of honey, honey has a serious being. side, Ali. Honey has a serious side. <laughs> Which is why I think probably someone um someone like Tyler, actually. Probably. Ooh, well that's strong. a bit cooler. Strong now we know Tyler's allegiance. But yeah, so that makes sense if you because that's I feel like Tyler could be the opposite to Kenny, almost. Quite guarded, yeah. very unwilling to make friends, mm. very um serious in nature in that way. So that could work. David? I mean, I really enjoyed playing Honey in the Christmas special. That was really enjoyable. It would be really easy to slip into Asta because Asta is effectively a a cisgender female Theo. Mm. And so that would be a really, that'd be a great fit. But I also do love that kind of like Sundera. That would be really fun. But I think if I had to choose anybody and I, it's, it's obvious because I'm obsessed with her, but I'd love to be Squash Mallet. I knew you'd I say that. I, I, I totally think... called David a squash mallet. <laughs> I I want to bring her back all the time. I just want to play the weird Marina Abramovich of garden design that squash mallet <laughs> has become in my mind. I just want to. I just want to know what she's doing all the time. So I'd be squash mallet. I'd absolutely be squash mallet. Probably not a secret as to who I would want to play. It's a character very dear to my heart. It's Barnaby Tims and his his ducklets, a cuff at Smythe. Who I just I love that man. I created a whole class. I cl- I created the the noble class in our game system based purely on what I thought Barnaby Timms would have as moves. But I, I think the problem with Barnaby Timms is I I think I'd have too much fun with it. I think I'd spend too much time becoming this horrible parody of what a noble gentleman would be. So it's probably good that, save for special occasions. I would play, I think, okay, I think I'd play Jockey the Ursary. Or, wow. Or Teddy Big. the Nursery. Nice. I you want to play one. You want to be. You want to be a nursery. <laughs> oh, I wish I had the I simple. I want to be a nursery. I wish I had the simple outlook on life as stewards. I just want to be a big old bear. No, actually, no. I think it would be jockey. <laughs> it's not all it's cracked up to be, mate. <laughs> <laughs> I think. I think I'd be jockey because jockey can talk. Jockey. What? Who is jockey? Why is jockey there? What? What? Why was jockey in the army? How did Jockey get to find General Phillips? How did they open an udon shop? There's so much to unpack there. And I'm not just talking about the frozen noodles in the back. Well, listeners, I think we'll see a bit more of Jockey at any opportunity that Stu can crowbar in some backstory. We'll get just vignettes on Jockey. It's now Jockey's show. It's Critical Jockey. We've re- <laughs> we're, at side note, we're renaming the podcast. Uh, and one final question. It's a lovely question, also from Ryan. When did you realise, oh, Shinks, we're onto something? I assume that's in reference to the podcast as being the something. Well, it could either be the podcast or our side investigative uh, PI mm. business, because mm. I think it was it was probably when I discovered the footprints outside the window. Uh, and I <laughs> for, that... me it was, for me, it was a, all the blood around David's fridge and him not letting us open it. That felt like a really yeah. big clue. Yeah. I to... told you I was making tartare en masse. And you just won't <laughs> believe me. <laughs> what a lovely question, by the way. That's really that that's is a really, really lovely question. I don't know. Probably, I think um, I I knew we had the groups or something before we were actually uh, started recording. I think when um, we all sat around a table and discussed characters and tried a few little um, short improv moments between the four of us, I was I I I knew we I knew we'd love it and we'd be passionate about it. Um, I think the moment we got our first fan art was huge. Mm. <laughs> Miraculous yeah. Monty. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah. Still, I um, I think it's really nice of you, Ryan, to say that we're onto something because you know I've never really thought of it like that. As Ali said, it's very much just it's it's really fun, and I just hope that that comes across. And I think that because we do have fun in sessions, that's why it's something in that way. Like you, we never feel that we're it's a chore to do it. It's always it's always something I really look forward to in the kind of week, especially at the moment in because mm. currently we're recording this in lockdown. It's really nice to have something that's still creative and still it makes me laugh a lot, which you know I yeah. think is is something in itself. Mm. I know Stu dreads it with a passion. I suffer <laughs> tremendous imposter syndrome to this day. <laughs> it freaks me out in a massive way, and I get very anxious about it. That is correct, but. You are right. I do look forward to it with a passion. And when we're playing, when we're actually doing it, it's uh, a joy like nothing else. So, 
yeah, I guess if that comes across in any small way, that's amazing. But for me, what made it seem great was, as I think Ali said, the idea that what we're doing and what we're having fun with might inspire other people um, to do other, you know, works of art or anything, really, or come up with Spotify playlists. I don't know. That's yeah. when I was like, this is kind of cool. Yeah, well, and listening to other Pokemon roleplay podcasts, you know, it feels like loads have come up at this kind of the same time. You know, Ryan, the question asker, is is, is the, the person who does um, Pokemon Adventures in the Millennium. We've got postcards from Pearl and Jonah. We've got, you know, a whole host, you know, the Roaring Trainers. Yeah, um, Scott's got Scott's Reckless Rollers Reckless now. Rollers with Scott. Exactly. It's just, it's just huge. It's a community building from and something that we're very much in the Jonah's midst of. Jonah's got Two's Company. Two's Company. Play as well. Just it's it's just feels you know quite big in its mm. small way, which is nice. I feel like episodes two and three were the ones where I was really like, this is why this is really fun. Because I remember in episode one, it was there was so much we were learning, like there was so much that we were still getting getting to grips with. And I think it was around the time that Theo fought Tyler, and we had everything on the beach, and we had Seto Kappa, and and then stuff with the Mind Palace. I remember that entire section was like, oh, this is why this is really fun, like getting to do stuff that Stu was just coming up with and having to respond to it was just a really that was the moment where I just I really got why this is so much fun you can go into a session thinking okay today we're gonna leave a house party with a bottle of fermented hyper potion and at the end of it I'm lopping off my own arm to conjure a slow king out of thin air and that was the kind of stuff that you're just like <laughs> this is even if nobody else cares this is such a brilliant artistic exercise like for four creative people to be able to sit around and just come up with ideas and nobody judge it and but people to be constructive and to say yes and and the only person who tells you that you're terrible is a set of dice yeah like that's a really constantly. it's a really empowering thing there are times when it's really frustrating but it's a really empowering artistic thing and as somebody who doesn't get to perform very often but uh and i mean obviously i don't, don't put on a voice for theo but the chance to like <laughs> the chance to the chance to just like perform and like tell stories is something that i i love doing so the chance to do it with people who I respect and artists I love working with and who I'd work with even if we weren't doing this podcast is like the world's greatest joy. David, um, can I put that on my LinkedIn? <laughs> you <Yeah>. absolutely <laughs> cannot Great. unless you pay me a small fee. Um, but I also think that in terms of fan art, the thing that's really spoken to me is how supportive people have been of having a, like as a cisgender performer, but having a non-binary character, which has been like a learning experience for me and for all of us. But like to see the way that our audience has responded to that has been so amazing. And to see people really use um, Theo and the church and a lot of the characters we've created in an incredibly queer world as like looking glasses and as, as leaping off points for that art and, to, and as people who could express themselves, particularly at a time when there's so much going on, particularly for people who don't identify as the way doctors told them they were when they were born. Like to see how people have responded and taken to these characters and Theo in particular has been a real heartwarming experience to me. And so thank you to everybody who's been so um, appreciative and accommodating of this experience. And I, I still think my favourite moment in the podcast has been Kenny's Mind Palace, that whole section was just so good from like the kind of the giant scolopede that we called scoliopede for so long <laughs> the slow king yeah. nodding at theo and that really emotional stuff and then kenny's backstory with dora and all that coming out and all that in a weird that's where you felt oh this is just a bit mad isn't it this is all suddenly can be go anywhere suddenly well, it really... another an, another thing that I, I i definitely didn't have in mind for kenny and i think I think I remember Stu asking me if it was all right at one point, and I was like, "Yeah, let's go with it. It's good. It's fun." Well, I think that came from a failed role. That came from a role that Theo failed, and you know, Stu had to react. And Stu just said, "I think you, you just get sucked into whatever wherever Kenny is." And yeah. we, we, it was either go into a mind palace or have two of the player characters unconscious, and I think we made <laughs> the right decision. <laughs> uh, well, thanks, guys. That was a great reflect, if I do say so myself, and I will. But uh, <laughs> if you would like to uh, send in an original character or a question that you have that we haven't covered maybe in this one, uh, please send it to criticalditto at gmail.com. Uh, connect with us, chat to us on Twitter at criticalditto. And there you can find a link to our Discord where the real chats happen, where all the important stuff like the playlists, where you can really add to the characters' playlist of music choice. Um, but yeah, and we'll see you next week. For the start of, and we're going to announce it here and now, the next arc is titled Steam Eruption.
Oh, baby! Will we get oh, on that train? Oh, baby! Will we get on that train? Who knows? It might be another... We might we might have another five episodes trying to get there. But yeah. Guys, I'm so excited for this arc. It's it's genuinely... <laughs> I can't I wait. I can't wait for people to hear where we've gone on this I one. Just, I just hope it doesn't <laughs> break... I hope it doesn't break Ali in the editing studio. That's all I ask. <laughs> I just hope we keep Ali. Yeah, that's oh, a good might do, contract's almost might up do. for Ali as well, and we really want that signature for Resign. <laughs> Ali, Ali, do you want a Togger Kiss too? Because we can do that. <laughs> we can give you all that for you. I'm intrigued by Togger Kiss too. The Return of Togger Kiss. That sounds like a great film. And thank you very much for listening. Bye. Bye. Babe. Stu, you just going to say anything to listeners? <laughs> I see. Rude. Rude. Ah. Uh, ah. Uh, later's. Thank you.